So, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. I texted you Monday. Uh Uh-huh. And, because I had seen Kelsey's Instagram post. Right. And I was like, congratulations. And your response was so Enneagram 4 to me. Because it was like, thanks. I don't know how I feel yet. Yeah. I was like, well, I think you should feel good. <laughs> I still don't know how I feel. <laughs> well, I think you should feel great. Yeah. I, I should feel great. And I, it's not that I don't. Yeah. I just don't know what I feel yet. Yeah. I still need to make a couple, like, little tiny revisions um, and, like, resubmit the manuscript. And the graduate school has to, like, review it again and make sure that it's all, like, in order. But, like, I've done all the work. I passed with distinction. I, like, have now completed my my doctoral degree. Maybe it's just the culmination of, how old are you? 29. So, what, 24 years of education? Yeah, I've been in, I've been in college for 11 years. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah, it is, and it, it doesn't feel over. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, I know this is it, this is the last degree I'm getting. Yes. Inshallah. <laughs> but, like, I don't know, I did talk to Kelsey recently about, like, yeah, I could do, like, a library degree. It's a one-year program. And if I'm here for another year, like, kind of, why not? And then I just have it, but I'm not going to do that. Don't do that. I don't want to do that. I really don't want to do that. You know that Twitter, have you seen like on Twitter where people are like, I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but. Don't go to graduate school. Yeah. And I wanted to be like, I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but you don't need that extra master's degree. I really don't. (laughs) No, I really, really don't. Um, And so thank you. Thank I've been you. too scared to tweet it. So I'm <laughs> <to you. laughs> I've been too scared to tweet it lest I offend someone. No, well, here I don't care about offending somebody right now. I don't know who needs to hear this, but don't go to graduate school. <laughs> you don't need to. You don't need to. Oh, uh, uh, graduate school is a lie. I really kind of think it is. I absolutely think it is. Yeah. I um, mean, which stand it, on it, two it, opposite ends, yeah. you know, like. Yeah, I, I, I've done it. I started and quit. Uh huh, and I think you, in a lot of ways, made the right decision. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I can't contact us in twenty years. Right, I can't do what I want to do without this degree that I just got. That's right. So you put you did the time. I did the time. But I don't think you need another one. No. <laughs> I think you can quit while you're ahead. I've got a, I hesitate, hesitate to say friend, but acquaintance who like finished his PhD, and then went and got another one. God no. And he's like finished his literature degree and then went and got one in like media studies. And I don't know why. I know another guy who did two PhDs at the same time. Like, and wrote two dissertations at the same time. That sounds miserable. I know. I mean, he was a miserable person. Um, <laughs> so it met. It made he was s- probably miserable because, because of Because he, he was, was writing doing. two dissertations at the same time. Yeah. But you know what? He's like the only person in the last 10 years from FSU who got a like really good job straight out of the gate. So Guess you need two. <laughs> with a literature degree. So um, If you get two PhDs, are you doctor, doctor? I hope so. Because I feel like you earned it. Do you know that, like, Southern etiquette code is to refer to a doctor's wife as Dr. Mrs.? I did because of wedding invitations. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. It is. We didn't use it. But, like, when I I Well, and because you you know as well as I do that a Juris Doctor is not actually a (laughs) degree that requires the title doctor. No, I meant when we were addressing them to someone. (laughs) Good. No, Jordan is Jordan Jones, comma, Esquire. Exactly. (laughs) No, when I had to look up, when I was addressing 
invitations to our wedding, I did look up Southern etiquette, mm-hmm. but doc- I found Dr. Mrs. to be dumb. So I, I find did it not completely it. unpalatable. <laughs> I think it is horrifying. Ooh, there's some, there, look, there are some etiquette rules I do believe sure, we should absolutely, still abide by. Absolutely. And there are some we should not. And Dr. Mrs. is one that we really should not. That is correct. Episode 225 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Dr. Christopher Jensen, and I'm going to keep using that for the next couple episodes. <laughs> and I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I feel like I should say I'm like 30 under 30 media luminary Dr. Christopher Jensen. Like the... That's going to be your next intro. <laughs> you can just do that on the next episode. Um, can we first talk about... Our classics episode. Yeah. Because so many Jane Eyre truthers out So there. <laughs> many Jane Eyre truthers. So we're talking about, I just wanted to throw out there that we are, Hunter and I have talked and we're considering maybe possibly doing Jane Eyre as a, um, not love it or loathe it, what do we call this now? Backless, Backless Book Club. Club. Um, it wouldn't be for a few months because we're reading a classic this time. Um, but we're considering it and I just, I want to say that I appreciate the fervor with which people love literature Mm -hmm. so thanks for your comments duly noted maybe i'll read it maybe i won't (laughs) and i do also just want to say like i don't know if we talk about this aspect of the brontes on on the episode but like what i do appreciate about the brontes is that they're not actually writing romances people assume they are because they're women Mm. and that's terrible yeah um actually their books do have more depth yes Um, they are good they are well written they're still not for me yeah it doesn't matter that they're not romances. That wasn't my issue. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're for me or not because I've never read any. And like I said, I've read Jane Eyre. <laughs> I think it's fine. Yeah. I don't understand the I don't understand the fervor. And I'm not yeah. gonna take that away from any of you. I I love that you love Jane Eyre. I love things that you probably don't love, and that's okay too. That's what's so beautiful about books and movies and culture yeah. is yeah, people like the fervor with which people watch Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Good for you guys, not for me. Right. And like that is a show that I really do like. Yeah. And then I see people talk about it online and I'm like, you guys like it on a completely different level than <laughs> yeah, I do. This is totally like different. I watch it. I'm I rewatched the show three or four times. I'm rewatching it again now. Mm-hmm. I just started the books. Like I really do like that franchise. Sure. But then there are people on the internet <laughs> that, and I just don't get it. It's how I feel about a lot of things. Yeah, about me too. Marvel, about Harry Potter, right. about Marvel too. I'd consider myself a super fan. Like yeah. not really of the movies. Like I like the movies, but I've seen all of them once. Yeah. Um, but like I read lots of comic books. I know a lot about this universe. There are people who take who have such high stakes yeah. in these in these franchises and I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. I think probably that's a little bit antithesis to both of our personality yeah. types. Yeah. Which may be why we don't get it. Right. Not that I, I don't want to be one of those people who blames my MBTI no. or Enneagram no. for and, that, and I, I just feel like... And, mm. and I also want to be very clear that, like, I don't care that people do that. Oh, no. Like, I think that's great. I'm glad that you love something and identify with that. I, I don't. I was trying to think <laughs> of what I do, like, what I do hold with that much passion and mm-hmm. fervor, and I really don't know. Yeah. and Which is why I say I wonder if it could be partly a personality thing. And I would say that 
but I, I know another INFJ who is a classic INFJ in the way that I am, and his entire personality is is about investing himself in franchises. And, like, not those ones in particular, but, yeah. like, locating his identity in this thing that he really likes. Yeah. Which I think was me when I was 15. Yeah. I don't know. I Truly, I really don't know because I don't... I, I really think it's opposite of my personality. Yeah. Oh, it definitely is yours. <laughs> and I... I lean T enough and yeah. I lean five enough that yeah. like maybe I've just kind of changed in my old age. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I will, it was fun to do an episode like that Yeah, because we rarely talk backlist on here. Yeah. And so it was fun for people to have, like, I really liked seeing people's comments on our Instagram, yeah. which is where I mostly saw them. I actually right. don't yeah. think I, I saw them I received zero else. emails yeah. about them. Um, but I loved the interaction because so often we're really previewing books mm-hmm. and so it was kind of neat to see Something people. That people have read. Yeah, or like Elin came in, Elin's our social media coordinator, mm-hmm. and she was like, Is Chris here? And I was like, He's not. <laughs> she was like, I got words with him about 1984. 1984. <laughs> and I love it because it was great. classics are something that most of us have, we have read many of them in school. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like a commonality. Mm-hmm. And so for the, not for the first time, but. It was fun to see cu- um, yeah. customer and reader interactions with that episode yeah. because we don't normally get to do that. No, so I thought that I was, thought it was fun. fun too. Um, but we'll shift gears back yeah. to our usual. We're going to go back to uh, previewing um, titles now. It's the end of the month. And so we're going to do our normal reading recap, the things that Annie and I read this month. Um, I'm done now, so I'm going to start reading again. Yay! But I, I, I remembered who I am. Okay. Where I was sitting on my couch with four books in front of me Mm -hmm. and an open comic book. Mm -hmm. And Kelsey walked into the room and I was like, this is who I am. (laughs) I remember. I forgot. I forgot who I am, but but now I remember. My identity was lost. I don't know which one of these things I'm working on at the moment. I'm halfway through this comic book and have put it down to pick up something else. (laughs) And I guarantee in the next 20 minutes, I'm going to pick up another thing. Are you reading ADD? A little bit right now. And I think I'm going to have to be for a while. Yeah. Um, You've missed so much. I've missed so much. And so and there are so many things that I want to read yeah. that I'm like, I'm going to start this. Okay, good. But I also really want to start this other thing. And yeah. I'm going to try to read six things at a time and it's not going to work out. And then in a couple months, I will settle down into a better rhythm. Yeah, that's um, fine. Give yourself some time. Yeah, here we are. Um, May was, I I was making a list. Partly we're recording this episode a little bit early. Yeah, we are a little early. But um, For travel reasons. Yes, so I thought, gosh, did I read a lot this month? And I don't feel like I did, but I did read some hefty ones this month. Yeah. When I had to look, when I looked back at page count, and I, which I didn't literally look back at page count, but I looked and I was yeah. like, oh, two of these were real thick. Yeah. And so I feel like um, I still, I think I really liked everything I read this month. That's great. Yeah. And so we'll talk about what we read and what we're still currently reading. Okay. So start us off. Okay, so I started the month with City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Right. I think I was reading this toward the end of we last month. We talked about this briefly at the end of last month. Um, But it was really thick. It's over 400, maybe nearly 500 pages. Wow, yeah. It comes out, gosh, at the time of this recording, a week? I think it releases June 4th or okay. something. Whatever that Tuesday is. Um, I loved this book. I want to be clear that unlike some other books I have read, I don't think I will be able to sell this book to every person. Right. Um, just because the content is um, sexier mm, uh, okay. than maybe every customer would enjoy. Um, I may have already done this comparison, but I think it 
is very similar to Anita Diamant's uh, The Boston Girl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I loved. But Boston Girl is like solidly PG, almost like the movie and probably book, though I never read it, Brooklyn. Uh Uh-huh. But about a girl growing up in Boston. This is about a young woman who lives in kind of this hoity-toity family. She moves to New York after not making it at her all-female college. She doesn't really... She, um, I think she gets kicked out, if I'm not mistaken. And so she moves to New York to live with her aunt, who owns a theater. And not like an on-Broadway theater, mm-hmm. like a far-off yeah, Broadway yeah, yeah. theater. Um, but if you were at all a theater person, or a theater groupie, which is something I was... Like, I was not in theater, mm-hmm. but I helped paint sets. and Theater I, adjacent. Uh, yeah, I hung out with a lot of theater kids. Um, then I think you'll really like this book because it is a love story to me. It is a love story to theater and mm. to New York City. It also a little bit sounds to me like a continuation of another social run-in project, but Lady Bird. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can see that. This is 1940s, but I mm-hmm. think the, the sensibilities... Bird, yeah. yeah, the sensibilities of Lady Bird are definitely here because it's this young woman trying to find her place. Right. And the reason I say that I couldn't potentially hand it to every customer is just because a lot of people who read historical fiction might not like the fact that, like, in the very beginning, there's a whole chapter devoted to Vivian trying to find a man to lose her virginity Uh to. Um, And it is extremely sex-positive book, so there's no shaming of Vivian. Uh There's no... um, In fact, I think many readers will really love that. that She is somebody who owns her sexuality. But But other readers won't. That's right. So it's going to... You kind of have to decide if this one's for you. However, if you love New York, if you like historical fiction, if you like strong, plucky, interesting characters, um, and if you're okay with sexual exploits, then I think you will really like City of Girls. It did not feel like it's nearly 500 pages. Right, because that's a hefty book. It really was, and I kind of put it off for that reason, because I was a little bit like, I don't know if I need this much of Mm -hmm. this. But it crosses it spans decades the book does so you see vivian start as a young 20 something and you really grow up Mm -hmm. with her and once i kind of realized oh this is we get to see vivian from start to almost finish Uh then i kind of was like oh no i really like this and there's a narration decision that elizabeth gilbert makes in how the story is told that at first i was like oh this is gonna feel gimmicky throughout the book but it doesn't at all um i really liked it this is this could potentially be in my top 10 of the year. Cool. I really enjoyed it. I really want to talk about the next one, um, The Logger Queen of Minnesota by J. Ryan Stradle, who yes. is the author of Kitchens of the Great Midwest. This is his follow-up, yes. hotly anticipated by you and me, and yes. I don't know who else, but definitely <laughs> you and me. Yeah. The, so I did not realize Kitchens of the Great Midwest came out four years ago. Yeah. And so I... 2015. Yeah. So I have been waiting for this for a long time without really knowing I was mm-hmm. waiting for it. Um Kitchens of the Great Midwest did a lot for Midwestern food culture. Yeah. This does, obviously, a lot for beer culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but my review across the board has been, I'm a teetotaler from the South, and now I want to <laughs> drink beer like, like and live in Minnesota. Right. So he... he does an excellent job of writing about place so well. We get a lot of Southern lit, and for good reason. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of weird stuff that goes on around here that I feel like devotes, you know, naturally lends itself toward literature. Right. Um, but I appreciate that Stradell is really trying to show and showcase the Midwest. Right. And I think he does so in a really beautiful way. Also, 
I don't always love how men write women. Yeah. Um, I do not find that to be the case with him at all. No, I thought he did a great job in kitchens. Yeah. Lager Queen of Minnesota really is told in almost three, I won't say three different voices, but you get three different female protagonists throughout the book. And each one he has crafted so well. Like, they are nuanced, they are interesting, they are complicated, um, they are likable while also making mistakes or decisions that you don't understand mm. and you don't like. Um, I thought this book was so, so very good. And I know nothing about beer. I think the first question some people are going to ask is, well, do I need to like beer right. or, or have an understanding of it to like this book? No. Now, do I think you might appreciate it even more if you did? Sure, um, but none of the story is lost mm-hmm. if you, like me, are very unfamiliar with beer and how to make it and how mm-hmm. to brew it. Um, but I I don't know. I think he is somebody to really watch. I was worried about a sophomore slump, Yeah. and there was nothing to worry about. This is a really good book. I'm so excited about yeah. this. this. You're is taking gonna, it home. I am taking it home. I've got the ARC in front of me right now, and I'm. Yeah. it's going to move toward the top of my list. Family of Origin still first Yeah. Um, after I finish what I'm working on, but... Lager Queen's probably second. It's so good. It comes out in July. In yeah, July. Um, State of the Union. I I think I said this last time we talked about it, but I didn't realize it was the show. Yes, 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 yes. I didn't we realize they were about the this same. On our short fiction exactly, episode, or short reads episode. Which yeah, that was last week. Yes. So State of the Union. Then you will have already heard me talk about it a little bit. It's Nick Hornby, who I steadfastly love. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate, who used to work here, she and I were kind of. Um, Instagram messaging about this. I really will kind of read whatever he puts out. Um, I like his screenplays. Mm -hmm. I think he's a good writer. State of the Union is something I think felt like reading a screenplay. So if you didn't mind, which, and I thought she did a great job, so I loved it, but if you didn't mind the oral history aspect of Taylor Jenkins reads... um, Daisy Jones and the Six. Yeah. Then I think you will be okay with this in that State of the Union is mostly dialogue. Mm-hmm. It is, it, there are occasional snippets of prose, but it is mostly dialogue. And it feels like, like I would love to know what came first. Did this really come first and become a show? I do not know. Right. Uh, I should have looked it up before I got on here. But it felt like this was the, the uh, impetus for mm-hmm. a show because... I kept reading it thinking, I like this. I'd like it better as a show. Mm. Um, However, if you're one of those people who is trying to like do a summer reading challenge or do maybe a year challenge where like you have to read a book under a hundred pages or something like that, this is great. I mean, I finished it truly probably in an hour and a half to two hours. I sat on my couch. I liked it. I thought it was inventive because it's just basically eight, I want to say eight chapters because it's eight weeks of this couple going to therapy and you only get their conversation before therapy Mm -hmm. and so it's that same one day in December or one day where you just get like a glimpse of a couple instead of their whole narrative Mm -hmm. um but I really like that I really like that plot device in a book and I think Nick Hornby does a good job of making both the man and the woman interesting, mm-hmm. um, which through dialogue I think can be sometimes difficult to do. Yeah, no, it can. Um, so yeah, I liked it. Cool. Um, I don't know anything about The War That Saved My Life. This was my uh, book club's pick for the month. The host, Ashley, decided to, she wanted us to try our hand at children's lit. So this uh, one's okay. a children's That's chapter That's why I don't book. know that one. Yeah. Um, but this came out a couple years ago and I feel like maybe I saw it 
from Main Street Books, Ada at Main Street Books in Davidson, North Carolina, or maybe possibly a few years ago through Ann Bogle. Like, it is one that I remember seeing. You're aware of. Yes. Yeah. But never would have picked it up on my own just because not always my genre right now. I used to read a lot of children's lit, but not yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. And um, it came out a few years ago, so I, like we have talked about, kind of focus on front lists. So, right. Anyway, what a joy to be able to read this book alongside my book club. It is outstanding. So it won the Newbery Award. Um, It's about a young woman named Ada who, she's about 11, maybe 12, and World War II is just beginning. And she lives in Great Britain, and the bombings are starting, so she has to evacuate. And what is interesting about this is... She has. She was born with a club foot. Okay. And she is um, really severely abused by her mother. And I will be honest, it that was hard to read, mm. um, especially when I was realizing. But wait, this is a children's book. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> it is very hefty. Like, what happens to Ada is really heartbreaking. Like, the author does not pull punches. Like, Ada, her mother puts her in a cupboard and won't Mm. let her come out. Her mother is clearly ashamed of her club foot, like how she looks. And so Ada is treated like a lesser class citizen. So when she and her brother Jamie um, are made to evacuate, the whole idea is the war that is ruining everyone else's lives really winds up saving Ada's Mm. life because she is removed from the care of her mother. And she's taken to the country with her brother and they are taken care of by this woman, this kind of tough woman named Susan. But what I love about Susan is she's tough, but loving and kind. And so she really offers, one thing my book club really liked is she offers another portrayal of motherhood mm. that we don't often see. Um, and then my one of my friends also thought, you know, we really see why some people shouldn't have children. Like Ada's yeah. mom was someone who shouldn't have had a child. And That's she did. And so as adults, we were really able to have this interesting conversation about it. I think it's excellent for kids probably 11 and up. Mm -hmm. Some of my friends are sensitive readers and I totally think they would be okay with me saying that. That's what the term they use to describe themselves. Uh And they were like, not only are we sensitive readers as adults, we would have been as kids. Some kids need to read this with an adult. Sure. Um, I have a heart of stone. Yeah. So, and also had a heart of stone as a child. So I'm fine, but I think that's good advice. And to be fair, it also would just be a really fun book to read along with your kid because it's really good. Um, so this summer, if you're looking for like a book for parents and children to read together, The War That Saved My Life, there's also a sequel. And I think I will be reading the sequel because I really like this book. And our book club had such a great discussion about historical fiction, mm-hmm. um, about children's literature. Um, and that was a departure for us. We mostly read adult lit. And right. so this was really fun. And I highly recommend if you're in a book club, occasionally picking a children's chapter book. Um, Ashley in our club really reads a lot of children's lit. And so she was the, uh, a great person to facilitate this discussion. But I really liked it. Um, if you are a sensitive reader or you have kids who are sensitive readers, just keep an eye on them. <laughs> just read it alongside them. That makes or, sense. Or read behind them. Yeah. Um, what about Fall and Rise? Okay, this was my other hefty book of the month, not just in terms of page count, but in terms of um, the heavy subject matter. So this is the story of 9-11. Oh, okay. Um, the author is um, was on the Spotlight reporting team for the Boston Globe. Right. So we're talking excellent journalistic writing, 
Um, if you are at all a fan of narrative nonfiction, this is so good. Um, I read it over a couple of days because <laughs> I read the first part. So it's divided into, it only covers the, his, the, the day of 9-11. Okay. So this isn't a book, and he makes that clear up front. This isn't a book about how did 9-11 happen? Uh-huh. Why did 9-11, yeah, right. why did this happen? What are the, what's the aftermath? This is about the day. Gotcha. And I thought this was interesting. I think you would find this interesting. He wrote it because he was a journalist for the Boston Globe, but he works now as a professor, Mm. I think, at Boston University. And he was realizing many of his students were not familiar at all with 9-11 and didn't really understand 9-11 at all. And so he had written for the Boston Globe a piece, I think called Six Lives, where he focused on six people in the towers and on the planes. And he liked that format, but he thought, I need to expand this for people who have no really reference or for people who need a history of that day. So I have a vivid memory of that day. I was a sophomore in high school. So I... Those are sirens. Those are sirens. Here, everyone. (laughs) Don't pull over your car. Um, So... I am very, I have very vivid memories of that day, even way down in Tallahassee, Florida. So the first half of the book is what happened in the plains. The second half of the book is what happened on the ground. And then there's a little, there's just like one chapter, I think, of the after, what happened after Mm -hmm. 9-11. What I really appreciate about this book is the excruciating detail Mm. he goes into and the service that he does and pays to all of the people he covers. Mm. And he says, he's like, this isn't everybody's story. Like, I could, he couldn't, do, couldn't that. do that. Yeah. But, I mean, I became so attached. And this is funny, but it's also, it's also not. Um, that, and it shows that I read a lot of fiction. Right. Because I started reading. And the, one of the very, I think maybe even the first chapter opens with the story of one of the pilots of one of the planes. And I fell in love with him. Like, he was a farmer. Mm -hmm. And I think in Baltimore. Anyway, and he worked a lot with refugees and with immigrants to show them farming techniques. And then he was also a pilot. And I just immediately thought, wow, what an interesting person. And I Googled. I literally put the book down and Googled to see if he survived. Mm. Which, of course, he did not. Um, But I was so (coughs) attached and so hoping that he mm-hmm. would. And that is really the power of what Michael, I think his last name is Zerkoff or something, what he did right. through this book. Right. Um, I know not everyone will be able to read this, and I totally respect and understand that. I am a big proponent of reading hard things. Right. Um, but, I, but I know it's not for everybody, yeah. and I know some people, perhaps even people listening to this, um, have vivid memories of that day because they lived that day. Right. Um, I thought this book was such a tribute and a history and I loved it. Like I really loved it. And I wish, um, sometimes I see summer reading lists for kids in high school and I'm like, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) This is the kind of thing I think a senior in high school should be, if not reading the whole thing, reading part of it. Um, like do we need a separate piece? Right. Sure, separate piece is great. Did you have to name a separate piece? I, <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of my own summer reading from 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, but but anyway, I really liked this one. And if you can read it, 
then I think you should read it. Yeah. I also posted about this on Instagram and somebody commented and said the audiobook is really good. Mm, okay. um, I think it would be really hard for me to have done this one through sure. audio. That would might have been my line. And I've talked many times about how nonfiction is so much easier for me to listen to yes. than fiction. Yes. And so that, that really follows to me. Yes. So anyway, Fall and Rise, the story of 9-11. Outstanding. Um, Miracle Creek is the next one. This is totally different. I was going to say, this, <laughs> this seems like a departure. This is a departure. Um... I picked this up, oh, because, Hunt, long story, but like Hunter and I were in the store together and I was trying to figure out what to read after the 9-11 book. And so he has not read Miracle Creek, but he pulled this one off the shelf. And I had heard about this from my friend Rachel, who now is in a book club with some women from Bookstagram who follow the bookshelf. It's like this long story, but they're on this book club together and they're reading Miracle Creek. Mm. And so it's fun because it feels like Rachel and I are back together again. Reading <laughs> book. Um, but it is a literary courtroom drama, um, which I've done one other of those this year. Yeah. Um, the Body in Question. Right. This is different from that. This feels very much like Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. Okay. Only, only at a courtroom drama, I guess. Um, I think you would really like aspects of it too. So it's about an immigrant family who owns an H-bot system, which I'm assuming is something real where... I don't know what that is. So it's therapy where you receive like 100% oxygen or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and so they they have that therapy in hospitals, but this was an immigrant kind of built this contraption in his backyard. Um... And I say immigrant because it's important to the story. Um, But he basically has come to America and decided, I can do this and make it more affordable for people who don't have insurance, whatever. Uh And people can use it for their kids with autism or whatever. Anyway, there's an accident, a horrific accident in the first chapter. This is no spoilers. A horrific accident. People die. And we flash forward to a year later when the trial for a woman not the immigrant woman or her husband, which is what I thought was going to happen, but a woman who was bringing her child to therapy um, regularly is accused of murdering her child Mm. by using this facility. Yeah, that sounds interesting. It's fascinating. And one thing I think, um, the author's name I believe is Angie Kim, she is writing from a multitude of perspectives. Like, I don't even know how many. It's got to be at least six, which normally feels a little bit to me like, wait, can I just, can mm-hmm. you narrow this down to three? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, sometimes I feel like it's too many voices, but in this case, I really like all the voices because they're all lying. Like, they're, <laughs> like they're, And so you as a reader are, I am having to work, but in the best possible way. Right. Like, it's super well written. It's that engaging thing where like, you have to use your brain. It's not just candy. Yes. Like, you're, you actually have to pay attention this to what you're reading. This is not just candy. Like, I am, but it's still got the page turning quality right. of like right, a great right, right. suspense It's not novel. like a... It's not a, quote, important yes. book kind of thing, but yes. but it is something that you need to pay attention to. Yes. So that it's rewarding. Yes. Yeah. So I am... That sounds fun. I am just... I'm almost done. I brought it with me today because I was like, I really would like to finish this today. <laughs> um, so thank you to, I believe, Annalie McFadden. She's Squirrel Next Door on yeah. Instagram. She's who I saw this book through. She's in Rachel's Book Club. So thank you guys for letting me read along with you because I really really liked it and this is one I think it's on the cover of book page but for whatever reason it didn't reach me in pre-publication and I kind of love that where I can have bookish serendipity where this wasn't one I discovered this Mm -hmm. is one I got to learn about from somebody else that's great yeah 
Um, you've got one more on here. Last one, and I'll make it quick. This is prayer, 40 days of practice. Um, this would primarily be for a Christian reader, though you might be able to read it um, from another religious perspective as well. It's one I did through Lent, but I just now I'm wrapping it up. Um, there's a different prayer on every page, but like we're talking a sentence. Uh-huh. Um, but the sentence, which I kind of, it wasn't what I expected when I opened it. Um, but the sentence is so powerful and then leads you, the goal of course is to prayer on your own. Um, but I wanted to mention it because the author illustrator is Scott Erickson, I believe is his last name. And he does these beautiful drawings and paintings, Mm. um, that really, again, I'm, I'm a Christian and a Christian reader. And so I, certainly appreciate this, but I think you might be able to appreciate even outside of a Christian religious context. Yeah. The drawings are really good um, and really thought-provoking, and art does not... um, Art that does not have words does not always move me. Uh, And so I have been deeply moved by this book, and Lent is often a difficult season for me to maintain habits and to give up things and it's it's hard it's a hard season um but it's supposed to be yes but (laughs) i adored walking that season with this book in hand interesting and i wanted to mention it because he's got another book coming out this fall that i think is going to be good as well and it's scott erickson and then he pairs up with a guy named justin something so one of them i think is a writer and one of them is a artist illustrator and so they pair together and these prayers are beautiful um really thoughtful i Sometimes prayer is not an easy practice for me, and this really helped me. It sounds a lot like a medieval book of hours. Um, yes. So I, I actually thought you would really like it um, because it is so simplistic. So I love Phyllis Tickle's um, Divine Hours, where and Jordan does too, where like it's a whole day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the morning prayer, the afternoon right. prayer. This is just one sentence, but that sentence, I can't get over how... I think when I bought the book, because I pre-ordered it, I was expecting uh-huh. a collection, mm-hmm. like a daily hours right. situation. Instead, I opened it and I was a little disappointed, like, oh, one sentence. And then I read the sentence right. and I was like, oh. like. And then to have the, the image yes. there that's, that's meditative, like that's a very medieval practice. Well, I think I, I You're supposed really... to project into the image and let the image project into you and yeah. that's prayer Yeah. Um, from a very medieval sacramental understanding of prayer, right? Well, that <laughs> makes a lot of sense to me this book definitely feels like that. Yeah, so that that sounds like it to me. Just having a having had it described to me, like that is that is medieval religious practice, yes. and that's really cool. So I anyway, I know that's not typically, but I did finish it up this month, and I just wanted to mention it. If you are religious or Christian, I think that you might like this for something different. It's yeah. not your typical like devotional book or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very thoughtful and thought provoking. Yeah. What about you? Um, we talked a little while ago about one thing that I have started and not quite yet finished because it's a hefty boy, um, but the Thebaid by Statius, which was my beach read a few weeks ago. Man. <laughs> you know, this this first century <laughs> tragedy about the fall of Troy. You just tuck that in your beach bag um, this summer. And the thing is, like, I brought four books with me to the beach. Yeah. And that's the one that I gravitated <laughs> toward. I was like, you know. You know, that means you got your degree in the right thing. I know. And I sat there and I read 50 pages of it on the beach. And yeah. like, I never read that much on the beach. Yeah. I'm usually like 10 pages like, ah, I'm at the beach. Yeah. I loved it. I sat there and I kept reading. And it was dense and it was difficult. And I had to keep flipping the end notes because I was like, wait, who's related to whom yeah. here? Um, which god have they offended? <laughs> um, 
and I loved it. I thought it was great. So I'm still working my way through that. It's it's big. It's like 700 pages. Yeah. Um, and then speaking of, I also started a Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Um, is that the? That's not the first. That's one. the first one. It is. The first one is a Game of Thrones, and then the TV show is just Game of Thrones. What is the second one? Is a there... Clash of Kings. Thank you. That's what I thought. And then was a first. Storm of Swords, a Feast for Crows, a Dance with Dragons. Okay, thank you. I only have the first one that I got years ago, th- thinking like, ah, oh, yes, I'm reading for prelims. I have time to do other things, <laughs> and then I. The rest of graduate school hit me like so many trucks. But I have finally started it last night. I read 50 pages of it, and it was really good. Oh, good. And so I'm I'm excited to keep going in that. Awesome. Will you read the whole series, you think? I hope so. Yeah. I want to. Um, that's the plan, but I'll see how I feel at the end of book one. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. That's what I got. Go forth and read, everyone. Go forth. And just do it. <laughs> Nike. <laughs> I wish Nike sponsored this podcast. It'd be such a departure. Brought to you by Nike (laughs) for zero money. (laughs) We're at the bottom of the barrel again. Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin. Oh, we Cast her lots with all the devils of sin Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you, as always, to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel from their album, Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com or find them on social media under their current moniker at The Rally Club. If you'd like to support from the front porch on gate from the front porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content like our unpopular opinions, you can find us at patreon.com slash from the front porch. You can also find us at our website, from the for free web-only content and a full back catalog of our show with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. Okay, I first of all want to preface the story by saying I in no way found it offensive because I love this customer and he is precious and adorable. Okay, good. So this older gentleman came into the store. He bought an FOX baseball cap, which is really all you need to know about how Uh wonderful and precious he is. But we started talking about a local event here that was featuring Jane Fonda. Uh So Jane Fonda, believe it or not, has ties to Thomasville. Oh. Oh, yeah. Um, So anyway. my mother-in-law. So they were using, they were doing like a, documentary or some kind of movie night um, about Jane Fonda and he asked if I went and I said no and he said you know one time I was able to tour the White House and it was like the special tour and lo and behold who was there but Jane Fonda and her then husband and he said so we wound up kind of walking behind them every time and he said she was wearing and this gentleman is older and again I cannot stress enough one of our favorite people delightful (laughs) he was like she was wearing these leather pants and I was like oh where is this story gonna go (laughs) and he was like he paused he goes man what a butt a butt for the ages and I couldn't stop I like started laughing and then I thought of Chris Evans in Avengers talking about America's butt yeah and I was like who has America's butt Chris Evans or Jane Fonda (laughs) that is a question for the ages (laughs) well thank you so much for listening 
We'll see you next week. <laughs>